Welcome to The Markets. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson. Dateline Chicago, Friday, December 13th. Hope it was a good luck day for you, but it was, I think, for at least part of the market story, if the story on the agreement of Phase 1 of the U.S.-China trade situation is true and will hold. But there have been so many times over the past year that we've gotten the hopes that it would be over or ending, and then something happened. So let's hope that this one is real. As we take a look at what happened on Wall Street today, of course, the focus was on the uh, phase one of the China-U.S. grain agreement. But let's take a look at activity. The S&P 500 and the Dow Industrials ended little change today. However, before they closed, they hit record highs as the U.S. and China announced that initial trade agreement, cooling tensions that have rattled the markets for months. The S&P 500 technology sector and the tech-heavy Nasdaq finished solidly in positive territory thanks to gains in Apple providing a boost. But trading was choppy following announcement of the agreement, which reduces some U.S. tariffs in exchange for increased Chinese purchases of American farm goods. The United States has agreed to suspend tariffs on $160 billion in China. Chinese goods. Those tariffs were due to take effect on December 15th. That was a deadline that had been closely watched by investors in the market. But one analyst said the risk of trade dispute escalation has been averted for now, and that's a positive. Investors were also digesting Prime Minister Boris Johnson's commanding victory in the British election. That could bring more clarity to the country's planned exit from the European Union. That analyst said, We got confirmation today that two major risks that have been weighing on the market all year have been lifted for now at least. The market is not up more because we have had some of the rally coming into it, and I think there is now a recognition that there needs to be policy follow-through on the negotiation of Brexit and also what really the details of this deal between China and the U.S. are. The Dow Jones Industrial Average ended the day with a gain of three and a third points, ending the day and the week at at 28,135. The S&P 500 only up a quarter of a point at the end of the trading day, ending the week at 3,168. And the NASDAQ up 17 points, ending the week at 87.34. VIX at the CBOE, that's what we call the worry factor in the stock market, actually down, and that's good, down one and a third points, ending the day at 12.63. The investors watching the developments today said, after talking about the fact that they were good developments, still in their mind, they're not really sure if it's happening. 
The S&P 500 rose seven-tenths for the week, and that's its ninth rise out of the past ten weeks. Utilities led gains among the S&P 500, along with technology, while energy and materials lagged the upward trend in the market today. But uh, all in all, getting what we hope and what we'll continue to say is a positive forward-moving agreement between U.S. and China. And uh, the fact that the presidents of the two countries will not be on hand for the signing, the top trade officials of the countries will be on the top signing, expected sometime early in January. And uh, earlier this week, of course, the Fed signaled that borrowing costs will not change anytime soon, maybe not during the new year. Company news today, Adobe shares rose 3.9% after it beat Wall Street estimates for fourth quarter revenue and profit. Broadcom Incorporated shares down 3.8% after the company provided, well, just a lukewarm revenue forecast for 2020. Oracle Corporation shares down 3.5%. That happened after its revenue fell short of quarterly estimates. And uh, the S&P 500 posted 76 new 52-week highs and one new low. The NASDAQ composite recorded 128 new highs and 49 new lows. About 7.4 billion shares changed hands in U.S. exchanges today. That's above the 6.8 billion share daily average over the past 20 sessions. However, with holiday coming and holiday closings of the markets, uh, it's kind of expected that uh, the trading volume will be lower than usual. But uh, back to the uh, deal in China and the United States, that could be a strong rally for Apple and for technology stocks because they have been under pressure under the trade uncertainty. But despite that, Apple climbed over 70% this year to all-time highs on broad investor confidence in recent months that Washington and Beijing would eventually strike a deal. And Apple stock has also benefited from progress increasing its services revenue as it diversifies from declining iPhone sales. As a matter of fact, iPhone 11 sales in China sharply down the past two months. So uh, those are the things we looked at, and uh, those are the things that will have an impact on the upcoming days on the market. But uh, before we take a look ahead to next week, which will certainly be a quieter week probably than we've seen in some time, uh, let's take a look at what happened in the oil market. Oil market showed a little bit of a gain in the trade today. And uh, then let's take a look at uh, what we're expecting to see next week. Oh, but I should mention that oil neared a three-month high on that U.S.-China trade talk today. But now, looking ahead, next week, Nike likely to show a growth in second quarter profit and revenue next Friday, driven by the launch of its app in China, New 
launches like the Joyride Run and the success of its strategy to sell merchandise directly to consumers through stores and online, but still focus will be on the company's North American business where it has struggled to meet market expectations in the recent quarters. As FedEx Corporation heads into second quarter earnings after the bell on Wednesday, the package delivery company expected to report an increase in profit and revenue boosted by higher rates revenue. Investors will be looking for examples of how FedEx is replacing Amazon's package delivery business. FedEx terminated its contract with Amazon for small package ground deliveries earlier this year. On Friday, the final reading of the U.S. gross domestic growth is likely to show that the economy rose 2.1% in the third quarter. On Tuesday, the Commerce Department expected to show housing starts rose to an adjusted annual rate of 1,344,000 units in October. The department is also likely to show building permits fell to 1,400,000 in October. And a separate report on the same day likely to show that industrial production rebounded eight-tenths of a percent in November after falling eight-tenths of a percent the previous month. On Wednesday, Cheerios maker General Mills likely to post an increase in second quarter profit and revenue helped by strength at its pet food segment. Focus, however, will still be on the performance of the company's cereal, snacks, and yogurt business in North America. And as usual, we have uh, several meetings that will feature speakers from the uh, Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas President Robert Kaplan will participate in a question and answer session before the Council on Foreign Relations. And uh, Accenture is expected to report an increase in first quarter revenue on Thursday, driven by an increase in demand for its digital, cloud, and security-related services. And finally, Micron Technology expected to post a decline in first quarter revenue as demand for its memory chips continues to be under pressure amid uncertainties related to the U.S.-China trade war and sanctions of Huawei Technologies, one of its biggest customers. So that's what we can expect ahead, but as I said, with the... uh, Holiday closings of markets uh, throughout the Christmas, New Year's holiday. Trading population on the floor will be down, and trading will be lighter than it is on a normal trading day. Well, what about the world of agriculture? We had the chance to sit down and visit with Richard Brock of Brock Associates, and I think you'll be interested in what Richard has to say to Max Armstrong, and we'll hear that when we continue on.
on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Richard Brock is in the studio with me this weekend. Lean up to the microphone there, sir, and say hello to your many fans and friends. Max, uh, good afternoon, evening, morning, whatever it is. Will they be listening to this? And uh, yeah, it's an interesting time of, time of the year. Well, we received the other day some new numbers from the USDA and their World Ag Supply Demand Report. But was there anything new other there than changes yeah, I, of international re- numbers? I don't recall, having been in the business now for 43 years, I don't recall a report that didn't change anything. Nothing changed in corn balance sheets. Nothing changed in soybean balance sheets. You know, you'd think they would have found something to change. But, you know, I, I think they're probably pretty accurate. Uh, you know, the I think a lot of farmers are still hoping that they lower their corn yield estimates. And... Um, in the surveys we've done with our own subscribers and audiences that we've spoken to in the last two weeks, we actually think the next time they will raise the yield uh, slightly. Uh, you know, they're at 167 right now in corn. Uh, we think it's probably going to end up around 168.5 or higher. Uh, it's not going to go down. Uh, almost everyone, we just finished a series of six seminars uh, throughout the Midwest, and every audience, uh, 90% of every audience, said they're corn yields came in higher than they expected them to be, uh, you know, three months ago. Uh, I mean, still below last year, but uh, corn yields uh, came in pretty good. And same thing, true in beans. What did you hear? I want to come back to, to analyzing that crop and that crop size in a moment. But what did you hear from the growers? What did you pick up on? As you've been out with a number of producer groups, what strikes you about their marketing of the crop, uh, their marketing earlier this year, or what they've done in a total income standpoint for 2019. Nothing's nothing's changed in 43 years. I mean, people still think the same way. They still do the same things. I tell audiences now that the two biggest issues farmers face in marketing uh, that no university teaches is confirmation bias, believing what they want to believe, only wanting to believe bullish news and not looking at everything. And the other thing is is habits. Uh, you know, and I, I learned this from a, a church retreat. Uh, that the biggest problem we all have uh, in trying to make changes is we don't want to break our old habits. And, you know, a typical one in, in amongst some farmers, uh, today's generation markets the same way their dad did, who marketed the same way their dad did. And if you can't break those habits, marketing results will, will never improve. And so what we saw uh, this week, and we were in, all the way from Lafayette, Indiana, to Kearney, Nebraska. And we just finished off this week in Kearney, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Mankato. Great turnouts at all meetings. And, you know, farmers were very optimistic. And they're very uh, pleased. Uh, those that marketed well this past year, by the time you throw in their insurance payments, and their Trump dollars, uh, biggest issue for a lot of these farmers, you know, how, how am I going to avoid paying such big taxes this year? I mean, that is actually a real problem with a lot of farmers. And then you've got the bottom 10% that are still storing last year's corn. So this is no different than any other year. I mean, you've got the top 10% and the bottom 10% and a lot in between. And, uh, you know, overall, too, what we saw 
uh, is a, a real mixed bag in, in recent farmland sales. Uh, everything from I can't believe that farm brought so much to there was a no sale. You know, and there have been some no sales in all, all the key states in the last uh, three weeks, and and then there are some sales that are you know near record highs. And if you're in an area where uh, livestock producers are wanting to expand and they need a specific area to put in new hog buildings because there's a lot of restrictions even in Iowa where they can put in new hog buildings. You get into an area where hog buildings can be constructed now and the prices are going crazy. Northwest that, Iowa would be a good example yeah, of that, would it example. not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, there's some land that's gone for you know, $19,000 an acre and probably not real big tracks. But, you know, nevertheless, I mean, there's some really, really strong areas. And then if you get into areas um, uh, that are pockets that didn't have good crops this year and maybe haven't had good crops two out of the last three years, and, and the farmland market is relatively soft, but, again, not really real weak. I mean, there's still a lot of money out there and a lot of money. And, and we all also found, you know, uh, every uh, sale that was mentioned to me, it's always a farmer that bought it. I mean, uh, the investors are not buying that much right now. It's almost all uh, farmer purchases taking place. So, yeah, it's. I think it's an optimistic uh, uh, attitude that most most farmers have right now. And of course, the, the pork guys are doing very well. Uh, beef is a mixed bag. Some doing very well. Some doing just okay. Uh, and there it depends again where a farm is located, because the biggest issue some of them have is, is just getting available feed. Uh, you know, lack of forage, uh, lack of corn. You know, it's a uh, so it's really mixed, and uh, but overall, you know, and, and then you've got a few areas with the soft corn in the field. Um, you know, North Dakota's got some real issues there, and there's pockets everywhere where corn's still in the field. And some farmers just waiting for it to dry down. Now there there are pockets that corn's still coming out of the field at twenty to thirty percent moisture. I heard that this week. I heard a grower in Wisconsin tell me that he had corn that was coming out of there like twenty eight, twenty nine percent moisture. Let me ask you about that corn that is still standing. Wisconsin, uh, the the Dakotas, what's happening with that corn? And, and are we missing in the estimates of crop size some significant quantity of corn that's either going to decline in quality out there and you know, decline in quantity? I tell you one thing I did learn in the last two weeks, and, and this is a fault we all have as human beings: is picking one fundamental and wanting to think that's really going to turn the market around. And I do think, Max, or a lot of people say, well, uh, there's too much corn in the field. You know, it's going to be really bullish. Well, uh, you know, if you take 800,000 acres off of the harvested corn acres uh, and with the yields that are going to have, you're probably only talking maybe 20 million bushels of corn. It's not going to change anything. You know, it's not a big enough fundamental, uh, nor is the low test weight. That's another uh, issue that a lot of people want to hang on right now. So, well, low test weight means we're going to feed a lot more corn. Yeah, we'll feed a little bit more, but again, that's not a major fundamental. Uh, so those two a, things you feel are not significant enough to really move the needle. They're, they're not significant enough to move the, the needle. You know, the key thing to right now, two key fundamentals. One is a lot of this old crop corn was carry over, carried over has to be priced before the end of January. A lot of it. Okay, that's keeping a lid on any major advances. Not that we can't go up, but that's uh, not a bullish factor. And the other thing is, you look at early seed corn sales, and everything points to the fact too that we'll probably have ninety-four 
million acres planted this year. Well, if we get 94 million acres having normal uh, uh, crop, just saying a national average yield about 176 would be trend line, uh, you're, we're back to 2.2 billion bushel carryover, and uh, or 2.4. And, and you're looking at, at prices that will probably be you know, 50 cents a bushel or more less than they are today if we have that. So, you know, that's what we're looking at. You know, what are we going to plant? You know, how many acres are we going to get? And then we'll start working on weather. But while our carryover is down from a year ago, no doubt, it's not, uh, it's not tight enough to really cause any major bull market. And our long-term issues in corn is we've uh, exported all of our technology now. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, Max, we had a comparative advantage. U.S. farmers had a comparative advantage in raising corn. We had 75 to 80 percent of the world's corn exports 20 years ago. We now have 28 percent. Repeat that sentence one more time. Okay. 20 years ago, we had 75 to 80 percent of the world's corn exports. We now have 28%. It's just been a steady uh, decline for, for 20 years. In soybeans, we had 65 to 70% of the exports. We now have 32%. You know, before, 20 years ago, I mean, Ukraine, for example, didn't, export, didn't raise much corn and didn't export any corn. Now, this year, they have 18% of the world market. In exports. You know, th- this is a fundamental that we can't change. And, and lest we forget, it was political decisions right. back in the day. And just, uh, you know, we, we thought we had stopped making that mistake. But. Right. It's a lot of things. I mean, anybody can point fingers. You know, you can say it's because of the mergers uh, and acquisitions, the seed companies moving overseas. That's a little bit of it. But we've had all kinds of other technology that's moved uh, around the world. And um, and we made decisions. Decisions were made in Washington to stop yeah. for one reason or another and to disrupt exports. And it yeah. hurts long term, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And, you know, once it's lost, it's very difficult to get back. Uh, and I don't know how that's going to be done. But, you know, so you get a lot of farmers now looking for alternatives. And, uh, you know, I think the one thing that kind of concerns me, we had the worst production year that I can remember in 43 years. I mean, we acres that didn't get planted, and yet, uh, look where we are price-wise. I mean, okay, so we had a 60-cent rally in July in corn, and now we're back to where we started. And, uh, you know, and then the other thing, you know, I think uh, producers need to keep in mind two old rules of thumb that have always worked. Old rules of thumb meaning never store a short crop, always store a record crop. This is a short crop. Short crops peak early and have a long tail. This one's set up for that. And every year, time it happens, people say, oh, but this one's going to be different. Max, they're always a little different, but the results are almost always the same. And, I mean, we're sitting, our clients right now, we're 90% sold in old crop corn and 40% on next year's. And, you know, we're 90% sold on the 2019 crop. Right. And 40% priced on the uh, uh, crop that will be planted this coming spring. And, you know, some people are even heavier than that. I mean, we've had a lot of opportunities to sell corn over $4. And, um, you know, those are good prices. And I think if we plant 94 million acres, we're going to wish we'd have sold a lot more. And, I mean, there'll probably be another opportunity here down the road. And, you know, we could be making a short-term bottom right now uh, this week. But, you know, it's hard to be optimistic uh, in this corn market. And when you've got a good basis like this, uh, you know, we, we encourage farmers to, you know, take advantage of that and uh, and put some money in the bank. How about a quick comment on soybeans? 
Soybeans are a little bit different animal. Um, carryovers drop uh, considerably in soybeans. Again, we've lost a lot of our export market. Uh, we, we expect 80 million acres to be planted uh, this coming spring in soybeans. Uh, but the carryover there is is tight enough. I mean, we're 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 heavily priced in soybeans too, and we have our customers right now sixty five percent priced in old crop beans, but and forty percent in the new crop. But once again, a couple months ago we had some really good pricing opportunities, and that's when we did it, and we've just been sitting now. And so I, I don't know. Um, put a gun to my head and say, "Be bullish or bearish uh, soybeans." I think I duck. You know, I don't. I don't have a real strong opinion on it. And um, so, you know, you get sharp rallies in here. I'd sell a little bit, but uh, I don't think a farmer has to worry about the soybean market falling apart here at all. I want to come back to how we began this discussion, and I don't want to make somebody feel bad because they didn't successfully market in 2019. But I want to underscore the fact that folks who really focused on the marketing of their crops, along with collecting a government uh, payment to make up for the trade war, presumably, along with the insurance, another way of managing their risk, there were producers who did okay this year. Not okay. Great. I mean, there are a lot of uh, producers. I mean, their biggest concern this time of year is income taxes. And So uh, the lesson should be, going into 2020, Absolutely. If you've never focused on marketing, this is a time to do it like never before. That's right. And But, you know, Max, you and I have been saying that for 43 years, and it, it just hasn't changed. And the reason it hasn't changed is people don't change. You know, today's farmer does – a lot of people are just cut – you know, stuck in this uh, habit of doing everything the same way. And, uh, you know, they do it the same way their dad did, and they, he did it the same way his dad did. You know, um, a lot of farmers still – you harvest the corn, you put it in the bin, you put it under a loan, and hope, hope it's higher in July. That doesn't work very well. Well, it's a good thing that Armstrong and Brock aren't stuck in a rut. Huh? We, we, we're not creatures of habit. Good to see you, sir. Right. Thanks for coming good. in as always. Merry Christmas to you, Richard. You, you too, Max. Richard Brock joining us this weekend. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here here to help. The ethanol industry continues to be in the news, and when the ethanol industry was booming, farmers like Indiana farmer Paul Hodgen made good money selling about a quarter of the crop to a local facility that produced ethanol, the corn-based fuel. But now that plant has stopped churning out ethanol and instead has converted to a grain elevator for storage. Hodgson still sells his corn there, but for a fraction of the price. He said, we are suffering for demand. Hodgson's troubles reflect the increasing difficulties faced by America's corn farmers as a meltdown in the ethanol industry has hit the corn market, adding strains to farmers already facing weather challenges this year and the trade war with China. But some 13 ethanol plants have shut down since November of 2018. That's roughly 4.5% of the nation's capacity in a decline in 
The biofuel industry blames on the Trump administration's expanded use of waivers to exempt oil refineries from blending ethanol into gasoline. Several other ethanol plants temporarily reduced production during that time, and the issues could test the Farm Belt's support for President Trump in next year's election because farmers that have largely forgiven the administration for the impacts of the trade war are less forgiving when it comes to its biofuel policy. And again, just a reminder, under the U.S. Renewable Fuel Standard, oil refiners are required to blend some 15 billion gallons of ethanol into their gasoline every year. But small facilities can be exempted if compliance would hurt them financially. And what has happened is that America's corn farmers have been hurt financially. Looking ahead, the Department of Agriculture has announced the uh, opening sign-up for the Conservation Reserve Program. It happened December 9th, and the deadline for agricultural producers to sign up for General CRP is February 28th of 2020, while sign-up for continuous CRP is ongoing. So uh, CRP has 22 million acres enrolled, but the 2018 Farm Bill lifted the cap to 27 million acres. So if you're interested as a producer in becoming part of that group, now's the time to talk to your folks at the Farm Service Agency office in your area and sign up for this program. Quick look at where we ended the week in the marketplace. March wheat at the Board of Trade up two and three quarter cents at five thirty two and a half. The uh, December corn crop ended the uh, day and the week uh, down three quarters of a cent at three sixty six and a quarter. And the uh, January soybeans down up eight and a half cents today. And uh, that put them at a higher close. Meanwhile, the uh, livestock futures continue to have their ups and downs. It'll be interesting to see if we finally get some strength in pork after the U.S.-China partial trade agreement. Well, that's our time here. And as always, we thank you for joining Max Armstrong and me. And hope you'll be back next week with us on The Markets. The Markets.